Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. And we're back. What's up, Paul? Hey, Dave. What's going on? Not much, man. Let's jump right into it. We've got kind of a big topic we we want to discuss today, and it's something just about everybody's familiar with and something that we are intimately familiar with, both having used it uh, or a version of it and, and read a lot about it and really changed our views on it. And that is the Qualified Retirement Plan, or more commonly known to most people as the 401k or the 403b uh, or the TSP for our military folks. So let's talk 401k and, and get ready for uh, all the hate mail coming in because it usually stirs up a lot of emotions in people. Yeah, it does. I think it mainly your your conventional financial planning type people they get they get a little butthurt about when we talk about it. Obviously, yeah. we've had some run ins on uh, on LinkedIn with with old boy there. He's a yeah. super friendly guy, but he just doesn't get it. God love him. Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> well, it, and I think most people do come at this, people who promote the 401k. Let's just say 401k. When we say 401k, we're talking about all qualified retirement plans, which yeah, are- It doesn't matter what it is, including right. IRAs too, right? Yes. Yeah. So, But we'll just use the, the general term 401k. Most people who promote this come at it from a very sincere point of view, and I'm assuming most of them participate in their own as well. And what I like, I always come back to that Will Rogers quote that's at the beginning of Nelson's book, that the problem with Americans isn't what we don't know. It's what we think we know that just ain't so. So I think today we're going to tackle some of those things about the 401k that that maybe either we don't know or we, we thought we knew, but that's just not the case. So let's yep. dive yeah, let's dive right in. So the 401k, well, maybe why don't you talk the brief history of 401k, like where, where do these qualified plans start and why? Yeah. So if you've read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, Unlocking the Infinite Banking Concept, his book written in 2000, he he touches upon this. It's a short book, it's 92 pages, but he touches upon the government-sponsored qualified plan in any form, right? He says, basically says, why was it created? Well, we were being, as citizens, right, we were being overtaxed. You know, you pay taxes on everything. We have an income tax that started in 1913. Coincidentally, that was the, the, the year the Reserve. Reserve Act was passed as well. Well, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, nothing suspicious going on there at all. So they create this problem of onerous taxation, as Nelson calls it, right? And they create these exceptions to the tax code. That's what they are, folks, right? They're exceptions to the IRS code. Oh, I can put, you know, 6000 in a Roth and I can put this much in a traditional or I can do that, you know, whatever. This is going to reduce my taxable income, right, for, for this year that I contribute to this, right? So they create this problem and then they create the solution to it. Doesn't that seem suspicious? Isn't it maybe just worth looking into to see if there's anything you don't know about it or any side effects? You know, it's like those commercials for a a new drug that you see on TV states all the benefits. And then at the very end of the the TV, they got the micro machine man talking as fast as he can, listen all the side effects, right? right? So yeah, that's what we want to talk about. You know, we've just been conditioned as, as Americans, as just, you know, regular people, working people, that this is the way, the way. And everyone you know is doing it, right? Everyone you hear about on TV is telling you to do this, right? To max out your 401k, take the match, you know, do this, do that, right? So there is another way. There's several other ways. 
there's another way. The one thing that the 401k did do for our society uh, that is beneficial is it created discipline in people for people to automatically put money away every single month on a consistent, regular basis for the long term. And that's that's something that's that's highly advantageous for for us as a society, for people to do that on an automatic basis. So they they understand it. Right. They have discipline in place, even though it's it's automatic, which makes it easy to do. Yeah. Kind of like my Social Security contribution every month that I'll never get back. Yep. That's automatic, too. <laughs> uh, mandatory uh, discipline. You don't have a choice. It's like mandatory fun. So. All right. Well, let's dive into what, what I would call some of the side effects of a 401k that everybody should be aware of. And then, hey, once you once you know the good, the bad and the ugly then you can make your own decision. And we're not here to say any one person's decision is right or wrong because we don't know your your specific situation. And there is no, you know, some financial entertainers, they have their way or the highway and their way is the right way for absolutely everybody. I would never say that, neither would Paul, because we don't know your specific situation. So it's case by case, but here we go. We'll just jump into probably like the 10 biggest uh, side effects that maybe people don't think about. One is with a four, with a qualified plan, a 401k, you are taking 100% of the risk without any guarantees and you don't even get to receive 100% of the reward. In fact, I, I remember reading Tony Robbins' book, which is the abbreviated book on his you know money. And it was something like you know the founders of these funds estimated something like you get 30% of the reward from your investment, but you're taking 100% of the risk, right? So I don't know about you, but if I'm taking 100% of the risk, I deserve 100% of the reward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what you mean by that, Dave, right, is, you know, when you when you put money into a qualified plan, generally speaking, it's going to be vested in securities products, mutual funds, stocks, maybe some bonds or whatever, right? There's, they're going to be in securities, which have no guarantees to go increase in value, no collateral. And, and that's written in the fine print, of course, right? Yeah, they say you couldn't lose your principal. That's right. It's written in there. You, you could lose it all, right? So that's what that's what we're saying on that, guys. Yeah. And, and risk is defined as probability of loss. So what is your probability of loss appetite when it comes to your your nest egg, your you know, quote unquote retirement nest egg. And they ask you that, right? When you sit down with your financial planner, like, hey, what is your risk tolerance? Well, you're moderately aggressive. It's like, what does that even mean? Yeah, what does that even mean? Right? I don't know. Like, I, mine is very, very low. I want to take, how about zero? Can you show me something with zero risk and returns? So, yeah. No, anyway. They can't. No. <laughs> no. All right. Next one. All right. So inflation. So this isn't really specific to qualified plans, but anything to do with money, right? You have to worry about inflation, especially lately, right? Well, here we are recording in March of 2022, where the reported inflation is something. I think I see the number at like 7% is the number people keep throwing out there. Which give me a break. If if you think, yeah, what was, you know, when you go to the grocery store or the gas pump, are you only paying 7% more than you did a year ago? <laughs> yeah. I think everybody's everybody's aware it's more like 20, 30. 100. Yeah. Yeah. It's something yeah. In, in case in of fuel. Gas. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, housing prices certainly twenty, thirty percent or, or mm -hmm. more in some in some locations. Around here where I live in Northern Virginia, it's absolutely insane. So anyway, is your you know, are you guys thinking about in your financial plans, right? Are you thinking about inflation, right? The expansion of the money supply, making everything, you know, driving up the cost of everything, right? Is that being factored into your for your plan is the value of that. Hey, I'm on track to have a million dollars by the time I'm 60. Well, that might seem like a decent amount of money today, 
or maybe even less so, maybe it's $2 million. Maybe we need to say $2 million today. Yeah. Uh, but what is that $2 million, what is that value going to be 30 years from now, 40 years from now? And as you start drawing off that money, because that's what they're going to teach you to do, right? Is to take that distribution plan and put it to work. Right. 3% of the account value per, per year or whatever. Right. Anyway, so make sure you guys are thinking about inflation, right? It's going to make the value of your account decrease and not seem <laughs> what it is today ain't going to be what it is 30 years from now. Right. A million dollars 30 years ago, you know, when I was 10, um, that that could have got you somewhere. A million dollars sure. today in retirement is, is going to get you the bare minimum, hopefully provide for your basic needs and not run yeah. out of money. And, per, and for perspective, you know, the traditional, I don't want to say traditional, the conventional financial planners, you know, I listen to the show on the local radio every every morning on the weekend and they talk about the you know, distribution plan of the 3% maybe or it's the 4%, whatever, whatever model you're going to use. But three percent of a million bucks is what? That's thirty thousand in a year. Yeah. So that's less than three thousand. That's not a lot of money, folks. Right? Rel- right? Relatively speaking, today's today's money. So something to think about. Yep. Okay. Here's here's one of my favorites. Yes. And average rate of return is not actual rate of return. When people boast an average rate of return, to me, it means absolutely zero. Like it, it means nothing, and I can prove it to you. Paul, you start with a hundred dollars. In the next year, you get a 100% return on your money. Now, how much do you have now? 200? $200, right? Okay, great. That's awesome. You double your money. Okay, year two, you get a negative 50% return on your money. How much do you have now? I think I'm back down to 100 bucks. You're back down to 100. You lost half. So you started with 100. Two years later, you're back at 100. What is your actual rate of return? Zero. Zero. But what is your average rate of return? Well, that's easy. That's 100 because you made a positive 100 minus 50 because you lost 50 the second year divided by two. So that's 50 over two equals 25%. So you got to, man, that that mutual fund could boast. We've got a 25% average rate of return. However, anybody in that mutual fund can look at their account and see that I'm in the same place I was two years ago. That's right. So do not be deceived by the word average. And if anybody throws that out to you, ask them, what's the actual? And watch them scratch their head or watch them get out a pen and paper and try to calculate that actual themselves. Yeah. I mean, and you could do it yourself, right? I used to do this with when I was contributing to the TSP, Dave. It's such a great point. Like I used to do my real growth. So I'd take the account value on December 31st, compare it against December 31st of the next year, minus my contribution for that year. And I'd figure out what... How much did it actually grow? You know, and there were a couple of neg- you know, negative years in there despite right. piling the money in, right? So, and that's going to happen, right, in the stock market. It's not guaranteed. Yeah. So, yeah, great point. But that's that's all you're going to see is average average returns. Exactly. Like prospectuses and all that stuff. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's uh, so awesome. This one's near and dear to my heart. Hidden fees. And maybe if not even hidden fees, just fees in general. And that can be in the form of fees to a, to a broker sales charges from the mutual fund company, whatever. <clears throat> we used to have these 529 college savings plans that you know everyone was doing and this this is how you need to save for college, whatever. And I was guilty of it. Sorry, did it for many years. Let me interject. It's not a college savings plan, even though they call it savings. Savings doesn't involve risk. It's a college investment plan because you could still lose your principal in that. So yeah, don't confuse matter. saving with investing. They're two completely different things. You're right. Names matter. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, they pick they pick savings for a reason. It sounds sounds safe and sounds safe. wonderful to the average person, isn't it? Right. It certainly sounded great to me, even though I knew I knew what it was. But but hidden fees, right? So 
the sales charges on these mutual funds that were funding this 529 college savings plans for my children. And I wish I'd saved some of these statements, were, but I remember it was 5.75%. I'm not going to wow. name the mutual fund company. It's one of the bigger ones that a certain brokerage uses, but it was incredible. And wow. I, you know, Tammy will tell you, I, I complained about it all the time. <laughs> Probably every month I looked at the statement. I was like, can you believe this? Anyway, so yeah, hidden fees, they're going to eat. And they're, they compound, right? So every if, even if they're only 1%, that 1% is just eating into whatever return you're getting. So take 1% and subtract it from any return you got year after year after year after year for 40 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. Yeah. And then in retirement, if you are taking out 3% of your account per year, which is a pretty traditional uh, amount to take out, and the financial institution is taking out 1% for their cut, they are eating up 25% of your retirement. So 4% is coming out every year, but 25% of that is going to somebody else before you pay taxes on it. So imagine that. Oh, taxes. Oh, taxes. We'll get to that. Next one. And, th and this one is probably the biggest one for both me and Paul, right? It's the government controls that 401k, not you. So who created the 401k? The government did. Why? Because of a problem they created in the first place. We already covered that. Who can change the rules on the 401k? The government, not you. And in fact, in, in 2020, in the wake of the pandemic, the government changed the rules twice through the SECURE Act and the CARES Act. Some of those rules were nice and you, you got to take advantage of it by pulling money out without being penalized and being able to spread those taxes out over three years. Um, but it took an act of Congress to for you to be able to access that money without penalty, right? Yep. And it makes you think that account has my name on it or Tammy's name on it, right? But is it really my money right now? Well, not if I can't get at it. You know, it's not liquid, right? I have to right. ask permission to access, you know, access those funds, right? So, yep. Absolutely. And there are ways you can access those funds for legitimate things, but you got to pay it back or else you'll be penalized again. But we don't like to put our money, our capital in the hands of anybody else who can control it or change the rules on it midstream. Some people were nearing retirement or maybe already retired and they changed the rules. There's so many different changes that I'm sure almost nobody's aware of, but just something that somebody else controls and they can change the rules without your vote. That's not where I want to put my money. So at least not the majority uh, and certainly not the money I, I absolutely need to cover my basic expenses in retirement. Yep. No, absolutely. <laughs> All right. I think you should talk this one actually. This one's good. Okay. In retirement, every day is Saturday. What does that mean? I don't know. Do you have a parent, grandparent? Maybe you're retired yourself. What do you do on Saturdays? For me, well, if it's not running the kids to baseball or hockey or lacrosse, it's we're going out and doing something, spending money. We're going to go out to eat. We're going to go out for ice cream, You know, go to Shields and walk around and, and look at all the cool merch and, and probably buy something. But I'm going to spend money, spend a lot more money on the weekend than I do during the week because I got more time. And with time, you're going to fill it with something. And likely that something is going to involve money. So, you know, I heard it. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I heard it put like this once, Dave. I heard it. Didn't mean to interrupt either. Sorry about that. You know, retirement should be, you know, Saturday is what? It's like your retirement should be this. It should be your childhood without rules and a lot of money. Nice. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs>
So, which is great. And some people get there and they get to do that. But are you guaranteed to be able to to have the money to to do that? So do, where where are the guarantees coming from? So, yep. Yep. Okay. So next thing, you can't touch your money generally speaking because there's going to be people that are going to sharpshoot this, but I'm going to say this. Until age 59 and a half. Kind of that's kind of like the magic number that's been picked. Uh it's been 59 and a half for for a lot of years, but it's true of any any traditional or 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 Roth account. Uh, Roth accounts do allow you to pull out your basis, you know, up to your basis at any time without penalty, right? So that's the money you've contributed, right? But generally speaking, with few exceptions, without a permission slip, your money is in jail for the majority of your life, right? At least all of your working life. So from age 18, when you opened up your whatever qualified plan to age 59 and a half, that money is in prison where you can't get at it without the warden's permission. The warden in this case is the IRS, <laughs> yeah. right? Now, this faceless IRS that sends you things in the mail, you know, seven months late. Anyway, so keep that in mind, right? You're separating yourself from your capital. Is that really the best option for you? Maybe it is, but for, for a lot of people, you know, I think about those people during Hurricane Katrina whose houses were destroyed. I bet you they could have used some exceptions to the tax code during that, like a CARES Act Hurricane Katrina, but that didn't, as far as I know, that didn't occur. Right. Right. Um, but those people could certainly could have used access to the capital. They've been socking away responsibly for retirement. Yep. Good. Well, so that's when you can access it. And then at age 72, which used to you be age to. 70, <laughs> but the Secures or the CARES Act, one of them changed it to 72, which is a good change. But at 72, yeah, you have to. It's called a required minimum distribution. So RMD. RMDs. Because, and why in the world would they say you have to start taking money out? I know. Go. <laughs> okay. So on these traditional accounts, you've been deferring taxes, right? Your whole, yeah, that's why people do it. Oh, it lowers my taxable income, blah, blah, blah. Great. Wonderful. But now you're, you've reduced taxes on the seeds and now it's your age 72 and it's time to collect on that harvest, right? You have, you have to. You have to take the harvest, right? You have mm -hmm. to go get it. Guess what? Now you're paying unknown tax rate, right? I don't know what the tax rates are going to be when I'm 59 and a half. I have no idea. Do you? Nope. No. Right. No idea. So I'm paying at an unknown tax rate on a larger, seemingly a larger amount of money, right? I've been piling money in there for 40 years, let's say, my whole working life. Uh, hopefully there's millions of dollars in there, depending on how much I put in. But now I'm going to pay taxes on a larger amount of money at an unknown rate. So I don't know. It may not be the best idea. I mean, for the government, that's probably a pretty good ROI. The taxes that they allow you to not pay for all those 40 years, which you're still paying a lot of taxes, you just you know get to deduct however much 20 grand or whatever you fund it with mm -hmm. per year. What is that money that the government allows you, so gracious of them, what a gracious master, allows you to keep that until later when it, yeah, the seed has become the harvest and they're collecting multiple times more than what you ever saved, right? So I bet their ROI is pretty good pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly, Dave, when you think about the Roth versus a traditional, why do they restrict how much you can put into a Roth? Yeah, because it grows tax free. And you're going to take it out tax free, right? So yes. You know, change the rules again, right? But right. So they restrict that, but you could pour a ton into traditional accounts many times over what you could put into a Roth. And people should question why that is. It, it, it really, it doesn't take a lot of thought, right? To, to, to see why we kind of just explain it, right? They want it's going to it's going to benefit them no question yep right so you know the basically just covered our next point which is compound taxes you know they talk financial entertainers and and the financial world talks compound returns 
hey, compound return, supposedly Einstein Einstein said it was the eighth wonder of the world. I've, I've heard Einstein didn't actually say that. It was probably some financial entertainer that said he did. Um, but so you compound your returns inside your, your 401k. Okay, let's pretend you do. Well, that means you're compounding your taxes too. So, you know, you're paying taxes on the seed or the harvest. So compound taxes. Don't don't ever forget about that. Yep. Okay. Next one. This is this is a good one. What Dave? What tax bracket am I going to be in thirty years from now? Well, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket, right? That's what I'm told. Yeah, maybe. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm in an extremely high tax bracket because I'm making a lot of money. Right. Right. Uh, wait. Wait. You don't want to be in a low. You. I thought you wanted to be in a lower tax bracket. Like you wanted to make less money in retirement. No. Because that's what we've already we've always been told and. Like, hey, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. Okay, great. So you're telling me I'm going to make less money as I get older? That sounds like an awesome plan. Yeah, it's it's this like anti-abundance like mindset where it's like, oh, you know, you're going to scarcity. Live off this, this scarcity mindset. You're just going to live off this amount. There's percentage of your retirement accounts that you've built up over your working life, and you're going to have to, you know, have your distribution plan in place and do all these things. Right? Where that just sounds awful. Right. I want to be making more money after I stop working because I put in the work and, and, and grew the network and did the things that so many of us have access. Anyone anyone could do what we're doing. Anyone. Um, but I, I want to be making more money because that means I'm, I'm enjoying I mean, I'm able to enjoy my life. I can go like my in-laws. They go to Jamaica every year or twice. They're all over the place. They're constantly going out with the 69 Camaro and the hot rod and doing car shows and going to Jamaica. It's awesome. What, and they what a wonderful life. God, you know, God bless them. They're doing yeah. it right. I want to be making a lot more money than I am now. That's that is the goal. So it big, you know, I'll likely be in a higher tax bracket. So if we're not planning for that, then we're, our financial plan is not sound. Yeah. Not to mention when you're working, you probably have a mortgage, so you get interest, that interest deduction. You probably have kids, so you get child tax credits. These are all things that that you won't have anymore. You won't have the IRA contributions because uh, you're going to be living off that. So you won't have that tax deduction, that tax nope. deferral. So think about that. You You really don't have anything to write off anymore. You get the standard deduction. That's it. So if you follow that traditional path with the traditional advice. That's right. So, okay. And then finally, tax rates are on a fire sale right now. Like there's a fire sale for taxes. They are at historically low levels. I think there, there might've been two years since the beginning of the tax code in 1913 that they've been lower than they are right now. But we are at historically low levels of taxes. And we know for certainty that at the end of 2025, all of Trump's tax cuts are going to sunset and starting 2026, they're going to go back to what they were prior to what, 2017. So taxes are going up. It's already written into law that taxes are going up in 2026. So keep that in mind. Maybe pay more taxes today, pay less taxes later. Something to think about. So Paul, let's talk this analogy. So I'm, I'm just going to ask you, Paul, you don't know me. I'm just a guy off the street. I'm going to come up to you and say, hey, hey, uh, hey, mister, I've got a great plan for you. I want you to give me $1,000 every month for the next 30 years. And then at the end of that 30 years, I'm going to give it all back to you. You know, it's going to be a, a bigger amount. That's my plan anyway. But when I give it back to you, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. But I'm not going to tell you what that tax rate is. 
until 30 years from now when I give it back to you. Uh, I'm also not going to tell you what your rate of return is until 30 years when I give it back to you. Are you okay with that? You want to you want to invest with me? Sign me up. Sign me up. Who in the right mind would say sign me up? Yeah, but guess what? That's exactly what we're doing. That's what, that's exactly what the majority of Americans are doing with their money, right? I don't know who manages my money over at the TSP, right? I don't know any of, any of that. So yeah, man, it, when you put it in perspective like that, it's just like a lot of people are smart enough to control their own wealth. They just don't, they've been conditioned to think that they're not. Absolutely. Yep. They are. So controlling wealth. So let's let's kind of wrap it up and, and bring it back to the, the foundational principle of, of our, the, the purpose of our podcast is to talk about, you know, the infinite banking concept and those principles of controlling your own wealth, getting guarantees on your wealth, never giving up the opportunity cost of spending cash on things, leveraging your your money. And now we know for certain, we know with 100% certainty how much cash we're going to have at any certain age if we pay our premiums. And we know when our kids are going to become millionaires through their own policies. And we know what age they'll become a millionaire, if, if that term will even mean anything when they get you know in their 30s. So we have guarantees. We have certainty. And I feel very confident with my plan. And, and that's why I don't participate in any qualified plans. I like to keep control of my money. And I know I'm smart enough to find the opportunities to, to make my money grow. So Yeah, no question. I mean, that's one of the biggest questions people have sometimes is, well, Paul, you're, you're doing these things, whatever. I you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have that network. I don't know how to get started. I don't know how to do any of these things. Like you see passive income or, you know, dividend paying whole life and building capital. I'm like, well, you, you start somewhere, right? Just like I did in, at the end of 2016, early 2017, I started to pursue those things, right? I was tired of the conventional, the conventional wisdom of, Hey, this is what we're doing. And I just, I never read the, you know, 200 page prospectus. I never did any of that stuff. Right. Cause it just, anyway. So yeah. And you didn't know anybody to call up or contact and say, hey, you're already doing this. How do I do what you do? You just started on your own. I think what we can provide is kind of that head start. Like we've been there. We, we've been in that mindset. We transition our, our mindset and our philosophy on money. And we've got a track record of you know making mistakes and having success. So, you know, it's all about who, you know, you know, you don't have to figure out how to do this. You just got to figure out who to go to. So find somebody who knows and talk to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I tell you, again, we, we talked about this in the last episode, we did our military special, but as like, as retirement looms for me from the army and that, you know, that, that paycheck, which is a decent, you know, monthly paycheck that comes in or every two weeks or whatever, the position that we've put ourselves in now through IBC, incorporating that into our financial life and generating passive income through private lending, through some real estate stuff, has, you know, it, it completely has changed our outlook, right? It, it's no longer like, oh, I need to pat that retirement. I can't cut this paycheck off, right? No, I could retire tomorrow and be fine. Yep. 100% be fine. So absolutely. Definitely just a mindset. It's, it's so huge in this, in this, in this thing, right? It's mindset. You can, we all can do it. You just have to, you know, get a little nudge in the right direction. Yep. And again, you don't know how to do everything. You don't have to know how to do everything for the the get-go. You just surround yourself with people who do. So we're good, man. I think that's a good place to finish. Uh, we covered a lot of ground and ready for all the comments, the questions, and maybe even some hate mail, which I'm not opposed to. So <laughs> I got, I got all the friends I need. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could, I, I like more friends, but I don't need them. I hear you. So now, in, in the end, we're here to play, you know, partly devil's advocate, right, Dave, but also mindset change, right? You're going to hear that a lot from us. You're going to hear mindset. You know, my mindset is control, control over capital. That's my mindset. Yep. Perfect. I'm right there with you. All right. Well, thanks everybody. 
And I look forward to talking to you next week. We'll see you, Paul. See you, buddy. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star.